Hey, damn guys. Welcome to Book Club Member Comics. Hey, John. My name is John Salinas, Hi. and I'm here with... Aubrey Lovelace. I'm Danielle. And I'm Wes, the interrupter. Hey. hey! Wes is here. Wes is back. How's it going, man? Pretty good. How are you all doing? We're doing great. I'm doing great. Yes. Doing pretty good. Yeah, it's been all right. Awesome. It's so great to have you back on the show, man. It's been a while. It feels like it's been a while. I think it has been a while. Yeah. So great to have you back on. This is our book club podcast. We're reading comics. We're talking to our friends. We're songs. We're reading actual books. And here's Danielle to tell you all about we're it. We're going to read a thing. And then we're we're going to... You have to read it too. And then you, we're going to talk about what we read. And you're going to listen to us talking about what we read. And then you're going to talk about what we talked about when we talked about what we read. And then we're going to we're talk about what you talked about when you talked about us talking about what we read. And that's friendship, and that's a book club. Back to you, John. Ah, classic. Yo, that you have really to send good. us a hey, damn guys. That's yes. email, or you get on social media. And and uh, I thought you were done with this. Well, sorry. you could also do a recording of your voice if you wanted to do that, or you Ooh, could type something, or you could send us an actual letter yes. if you wanted to. But I uh, back to you, John. Okay, thank you. That was great. And one more thing. No, I'm done. <laughs> we haven't had a voice memo in a long time. Yeah, yeah we haven't yeah. had one of those in a while. Yes, so we have quite a bit to talk about here, so I'm going to get right to it. Let's go to our listener feedback. Listener feedback. feedback. Listener feedback. Get out, trades and floppies. Get out, hardback copies. Digital is fine. Read along the old feedback the old feedback the old feedback all right right. um so we have a couple things to talk about here lately we've been talking about all-star superman and we heard from matt strackbine matt strackbine book club member and letter hack yes thank you wes great he said hey you damn guys my one comment from the beginning hey My one comment from the beginning of this series so far, in the very first scene in issue one, it would appear that after all these years, Lex Luthor has finally learned his lesson. Mm -hmm. He patiently waits for someone else to fly too close to the sun and uses Dr. Leo Quintum's own hubris to execute his latest evil plan. I really like that. That's really good. Awesome, Matt. Very nice. Okay. I look forward to hearing more from Matt on this series. He is is very much an opportunist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Lex Luthor, not Matt. No, no. Or is Matt an opportunist? No, Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor, for sure. No, Matt's a sweetie pie. Yeah. That's how I'd categorize Matt. We also heard from Jerry Turnbull. Jerry Turnbull. Book club member. The book club member. Yeah. Who's that? Who said that? There's a little gremlin over (laughs) here. There's a gremlin there. Hey. Are you sure that wasn't Wes? Wes, was that you? I'm a gremlin, but that wasn't me. He is a gremlin, okay. <laughs> but that it wasn't was a different him. gremlin. All right. All right, man. Jerry said, uh, regarding the Jimmy Olsen uh, issue. Oh, okay. Right? There were <laughs> all, all right. those Easter eggs in there, and we were kind of like, oh, look at this. This is funny. So the Viking helmet, okay. that's actually a reference to Superman pal Jimmy Olsen's number 159. Mm. And then the... So tedious. I love it. The genie lamp. Mm-hmm. That's from... The same series, issue forty-two. Excellent. So oh. I love knowing all those. Like <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> they're actual references to things. But Grant Morrison had to know that they had to go in and yeah. read that entire series or be a fan of it. You know what I mean? Or, or just know it offhandedly. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. They probably read it when they were growing up. Sure. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, but I love finding. Do you, really, do you think he was looking through his box of back issues of Jimmy Olsen, Superman's best friend? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. It's Hayden Orr. 
book club member. That's right. Yes. Oh, my land. It's Christopher Egan. Also, how did nobody say, oh, my stars and garters? I said that after we stopped recording. I was so mad at myself, but I I did say it. But it wasn't recorded, so I guess it doesn't count. It was count. at the very end of the episode. Yes. yes. I might actually have that. You might, might have that? Okay. I might have a clip of that. If I do, we I'll, have me I'll, saying it now. I'll cut it in there. And I'm Robert Lovelace saying, oh, my land, Perry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my stars and garters. Hey, Nor continues. Now that I know Chris is a New Jersey Italian, Italian. I will only be able to hear his name in my head as coming from the mouth of one or all of the Sopranos actors, Christopher. <laughs> anyway, he typed out Christopher in all caps, so I guess I should yell at Christopher. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I'd have to agree that these two issues are a bit weaker or less fun to revisit because of the jackass bros and Jimmy fucking Olsen. <laughs> Second that emotion. But even the weakest Morrison joint is still leagues better than most other comments. Yes. Hard agree, especially when they're working with an artist of Frank Quietly's caliber. You're just speaking so many truths. Yes. I mean, the Dino Sar and the Ultra Sphinx. Come on, how can you not be loving this shit? The next issue is also has loads of fun stuff. That's that's how he typed it. Written around Jimmy being incredibly annoying, especially the <laughs> especially the Bizarro Underverse stuff that sets up more Bizarro stuff later on. Okay, awesome. Also, the first time I saw this comic, I flipped through it in the bookstore without really reading any of it, and I swear I thought Grant Morrison had made Jimmy gay in the story. The panel of him in drag and the design choice of making him look like an absolute 2000s twink ended up misleading me. Well, you know, I mean, yay. He's wearing the coat, the the, the coat and everything. Perhaps he is uh, bisexual or some such. Right. Which is fine and good. Or simply straight and likes to cross-dress, also valid. But I think Morrison anticipated that a bit with the line Perry says about one of the three halves of Metropolis's men wanting to date him. Right. And Jimmy doesn't seem bothered by that. It's fine. Yeah. You know, he's confident in himself. It doesn't matter. And who wouldn't love to be taken to see Frankenstein on ice by Rock Handsome? I wouldn't love that. I was actually, man, oh. this, was, this was something <laughs> that I, um, I forgot to talk about. I I actually wanted to bring this up on the last episode. Like, what would it be the songs? Oh, like would it be like um, it's alive? Yeah. But then it's like lament, and then it's alive reprise or whatever. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like later in the play or whatever. Oh, and then man. Um, you know, like I will be there on your wedding night. I think that would be a good one. <laughs> I think that would be a good. Oh one. <laughs> man. Wow. What are the okay. songs? Oh, what are man. the songs? Wow. When he first sees himself in the, in the water, he sees his reflection. Like, there's got to be a song right there, right? Just Mulan's reflection. Oh, yeah. It's just that song. <laughs> all, all, but all of this on ice, too. Yeah. All of it is on ice, yeah. <laughs> anyway, let there's us know. There's a whole number about, um, about nipple bolts. Okay. For sure. It's... <laughs> Let us know. Let us know if you have the what, what are the what are the track names for Frankenstein the Frankenstein and like, a, like a chorus where the villagers are coming after him. Like sure, one of those like all cast recordings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a song from Beauty and the Beast. It's just the, it's just all Disney songs. It's like Disney presents Frankenstein on ice. All right, uh, where am I in this? I may have asked before, but have you guys checked out Klaus? Yeah, yeah. The Santa comics by Morrison and Dan Mora. I have not heard of this. Yeah, I think I have like the first issue or somewhere, but I don't know if I read the whole thing. Hmm. Did you ever read that, Aubrey? Klaus. I have not read that. Okay, I'm I have t- read it. 
I have read it. Oh, have you read it? Okay. Okay. On top of being incredibly good in their own right, there's also a strong all-star Superman version of Soup's vibe that Morrison gives to Santa Claus. Yeah. And some of the later comics have the same kind of cosmic, comic craziness that you expect from Grant Morrison. At one point, he fights an evil werewolf doppelganger, Santa, who looks like Lobo. Nice. Okay. <laughs> that sounds he amazing. really does. You guys should definitely <laughs> consider doing it for an Xmas episode sometime. Oh, oh I, wow. definitely. Definitely. Right. That's that's it. This year we'll do this. That sounds great. I want to do I that. I think there's at least two trades now. Ooh. Okay. Nice. Okay. <laughs> I just remember seeing like the image like it's like Santa but he looked like all Conan kind of, you Not, know what like I Rip mean? Santa. Totally. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he's like Rip yep. Santa. Uh yeah, it's like and Conan it was, and Barbarian Santa. It's a perfect Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> We also heard from Drew Campbell. Drew Campbell. Book club member. It's yes. true. Uh, Drew said, I assume Atlas's Earth emblem shows Antarctica because that's what his view of Earth looks like when he's holding it up from underneath. I get that. Oh, so stupid. Christopher Egan had the same oh, he, in gift form. He had, he had the Did same he have reaction. a gift that expressed the same yeah. emotions I'm currently Yes. I'm currently going Exactly. <laughs> So the Superman Clark probably gave Lombard the line about the unstoppable force and the immovable object okay. for the car ad. But if you look at the panel where Samson shows Superman the newspaper, you can see that ad is on the next page. Uh -huh. So maybe Superman saw the ad and that's how he knew how to answer the Ultra Sphinx question. Sure. Yes. Yeah. That's what I was trying yeah, that's what to you were that, saying. That's what I was saying. Yeah, I remember that. Um, and Hayden had a response to that too, right? Say. I was thinking the same thing, lol. That's why he laughed when he gave the answer that it came from an ad for a ridiculous car. Right. Excellent. <laughs> because he's looking at Lois and yeah. he goes, ha. Huh. Yeah, and you came he, up and, with that And he gives the answer. The, yeah. yeah. But so he's thinking about, oh, I'm just going to take that stupid line yeah, from yeah, that yeah. car. <laughs> that makes it even funnier. It makes it funny, but it also, in the context, it's also quite moving, I think. So it can be both, I Well, feel. I think because... Another thing, and I was and I was talking about this when we talked about the cover to that issue too. The Daily Planet is what what unites Lois yeah. and and Clark, right? And so that goes back to that idea, I sure, think, yeah. because it, the the answer to that question is something that he read in the in their newspaper. Yeah, you know what mm -hmm. I mean. So anyway, absolutely, uh, man, that Atlas thing, it really fucking really burns good. me that I, I wasn't <laughs> clever enough to understand that. That's that's really great though. Oh my man, these guys are so great. Yeah. yeah. Really Fucking good. Grant Morrison. Mike Wiley. Um, regarding our X Files episode. Oh we heard from Ooh. we heard from Andrew Craddock. Mm, Andrew Craddock. Book club member. You yeah. know it. You know it. He says, always down for X Files commentaries. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that's uh, good because I'm also down. <laughs> I know. I'm also gonna I'm gonna talk over all of the episodes of the X Files and the movie. Yeah, he said, "I love that this was your episode choice." And I know that there are three. I know that there are multiple movies, so maybe all of the X Files. <laughs> maybe all of the. What X -Files. do you think about that? Sorry, go ahead. Um, yeah, but uh, Andrew, let us know what episode you would like us to talk about, or I don't know. Let I will us know. consider it. Yeah, we will consider it. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> that's great. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad that you uh, enjoyed it. Me talking over an episode of the X Files yeah. for some fucking reason. <laughs> That's great. And uh, we have Wes on here today to talk about Baltimore. Uh, regarding our last Baltimore episode, we heard from Mark Tweedo. Mark Tweedo, book club member. Yes, he said um, T Dragon not only gets recommendation for all the books 
it's the world I want to live in. Okay. Mark said. Um, did you? Uh, so that was a book that you were talking about, Wes, the last time. Have you had a chance to check that out? I did. So I read that. I read the first book. I bought the second book, and then there was like a sort of side book that was just like a break into the world sort of thing. It was. Um, it was about a sea, like a unicorn seahorse dragon that okay. gets rescued by a little girl. Aww. And that was just sort of like to break you into the world a little bit. And yeah, somebody right. had suggested starting with that. Yeah, it's good. It's fun. It's it's a super, super oh. fun world. I agree oh. with Mark. It's awesome. It's super cute. <laughs> awesome. It's super cute. Very yeah. good. We'll have to check that out. I love that. He also said, okay, I wanted to go back to Demetrius Icecross, uh, his stuff with the Puppet City. I love the way there's that mention of flames in the houses being like enlarged candle flames. It suddenly casts doubt on everything that we wonder. So that way we wonder if somehow Ice Cross has been made smaller rather than the puppet being enormous. It's hmm. the sort of detail that makes it clear that even though Ice Cross experienced this, he never really knew what was going on. Mm. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting because they do yeah. um, talk about those giant flames and I didn't even put that together, but I was like, oh, yeah, I guess you could think, like, maybe he's small. and he's What's great like, about this is you could be talking about literally anything, yeah. and I would just take it for granted and be like, yeah, I guess that happened in this, <laughs> in this thing that yeah. you're talking about. Mark also said, as for the story within a story format, because I read the novel first, I think of this structure as being an essential part of Baltimore, and the best of the comics incorporate this aspect, too. Um, it's kind of like Frankenstein, you know, Frankenstein is what's it called? A, an epistolary novel. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you're reading the letters and then someone else yeah. is reading someone else's journal yeah. and you're re- you're reading them talking about reading someone else's letter or whatever. It's like you know? the book when they made the movie, <laughs> the prestige, that book is like that. Exactly. And, right. and Dracula. Yeah. Also so the Baltimore, my friend, Jonathan Harker is always writing letters to me. So, uh, but I, we know that, um, we know that Mignola and Christopher Golden are fans of Dracula yeah, yeah, yeah. and of Frankenstein yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. So it makes me think like they intentionally set up the book with well, yeah. this kind of structure. You know what I mean? Because it's That's really cool. rad. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Thank you for pointing that out. Mark. Also, Catherine called Birdie, but she's writing in a journal. I read that as a child and I, I, I liked it. What is that? Catherine called Birdie. It's, it's a child's book. It's for children. I read it when I was young. Oh, very, okay. I was very young. And I, Who was uh, it by? Do you know? I can't remember the name of the author. Uh, okay. I guess I should. Should I look this up? Yeah, go ahead and look right. that up. That's uh, a good little recommendation. Yeah, so there. if you That's have, cool. you know. I mean, I guess an adult could read it and enjoy it. I, just, I, I <clears> thought it was for kids. I don't know. Uh, I haven't read it since I was a kid, but I remember liking it. Mm. I remember enjoying it. Uh, it's a novel by Karen Cushman. Oh, okay. So Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I thought this was fun. Mark tagged our podcast um, with this question from another show. It's called The No Cape Show. And it said, what's your favorite hardcover? And so... Favorite hardcover uh, what? Your favorite hardcover book. That's hardcover not a anything. question. That's just, what's your favorite book? No, what's your... Well, I, I thought it was kind of an interesting question because it okay. made me think of it in two different ways it made me think of it like from a collector's point of view oh. like what's some of the rarest oh. books that i have oh okay you know what i mean so like All right. i was immediately thinking about these bprd plague of frog hardcovers oh, those are like likely. out of print huh. you know those are really difficult and hard to find right now but then i was also thinking of this just works like on paper is pretty sweet i was thinking of this hellboy book that we found in paris this, oh right like, oversized yeah. black and white hellboy in hell you know what i mean like 
I don't know. It's hard to pinpoint what is your favorite hardcover. You've cover. got a lot of excellent oversized books. Yeah, I do. I was thinking about, um, yeah, this David Lynch works on paper. Yeah, David Lynch book That is great. Alex Ross Marvel's Monster Edition, that giant, <laughs> probably the biggest book that I own is that one. I don't know. What about you guys? What's your favorite hardcover? Anything. Hardcover book, hardcover comic. <sighs> so many. You know, I got like Absolute Dark Knight and The Sword in a nice big over nice big oversized slipcase then there's um all those like x-men omnibuses that i have right yeah um which are like you know like the almost the entire claremont and jim lee era run you know the invincible ones are great i mean i'm trying to think is it i mean what's the criteria is it like because of the cover or the rare no it just says the, uh, it, it simply said yeah. what's your favorite hardcover is he just talking about yeah. comics, though? No, because the naming lots of comics, no, because that... the thread was also people sharing books, okay. people sharing their favorite hardcover books. I have um, a lot of Chuck Palahniuk in hardcover books that okay. I really like. I I do like all these like oversized books that you've got, John. They're really these like art books that you have and yeah. stuff. I like the David Lynch works on paper. I got you that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have. Uh, this is kind of weird. I have a hardcover, a dictionary of the Cajun language by daigle or daigle i don't know how to pronounce this okay. guy's name but it's it's actually because it's a it's signed oh wow um and it's 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 interesting because it was written for the purpose of preserving the cajun language as it was spoken before it began to deteriorate after world war one it is the cajun that my contemporaries and i have spoken for the past 84 years uh so it's it's just a really interesting it's they're trying to preserve a culture and a language and so trying to preserve a language is such an interesting idea yeah, to me just because cool. it's yeah. like, you know, they evolve. I mean, their their languages are fluid. They're constantly evolving every single second of every single day. They are born, they evolve, and they die just like anything else. And so it's just interesting to have this like yeah. this book that is this attempt to kind of document right. this language. Anyway, it's kind of interesting. So What about you, Wes? I mean, I have I have that oversized artist edition of Hellboy in Hell. Like I, I don't know. Ooh, like wow. I feel cheap just going for that book. No, that's no. a great that's a that's a great book. That's a great answer. Yeah. It's hard to pick. Yeah. Um yeah, and it's I kept coming back to the it, I kept coming back to the Hellboy stuff because like you know what I mean? Um I don't know, like that's just some good comics, you know what I mean? Like that's just some some good comics no matter how you how you look at it whether it's in French or yeah. whatever. I I do like those oversized library editions. Yeah, I like an yeah. oversized art book. Those I like really nice. I like this works on paper book, this David Lynch book. Yeah. We have a Lee Bontecue art book as well. Yeah, that's a really nice it's one. It's a nice one yeah. from when the uh they ha- actually had a lot of stuff here at the Manila a while ago. I did a Jeff Jeff Lemire Kickstarter for his Maze book and that book is beautiful. Oh, I that that just got that's nominated really nice for an Eisner, book. right? Yeah. It's a beautiful hardcover book. Wow. Oh, man. Then there's those Harrow County books that that Mark and you guys gave me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those are incredible, too. Wow. I've got this hardcover book. It's this black leather book. It looks super fancy. It's got, got like, gold gilding and everything. It's all, it's the collected works of Edgar Allan Poe. It's got, like, a big gold raven on it and stuff. It's super sweet. That's that's funny because I was actually thinking about this, like, when I first moved here to Texas, I went to half Price Books and I got a complete collection of Edgar Allan Poe, blue faux leather stamp, but no, like, raven on it or anything like that. Nice. That's super cool. I love anything also with hand marbled like, paper inside Mm -hmm. and stuff, like the, the, you know, the... uh, The uh, what am I trying to say? The insides of the covers are like hand marbled or whatever. Like I love stuff like that. Anything that's yeah. just overly exaggeratedly, <laughs> you know, kind of bespoke and right. 
you know, just lovingly crafted and it just like has, you know, I'll, I love anything that's got a lot of detail to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great question. Thank you so much, Mark. Um, yeah. Let us know uh, if you have a favorite hardcover shout out, whatever awesome rare book that you have. Now it's time for the segment. What do you see? What do you say? <laughs> All right. What are you seeing and what are you saying? Okay. So there's this thing uh, on Netflix that I didn't even know about. It's called The Last Dance. And it's this documentary about the 90s Bulls right. uh, team and like Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and all this stuff and the coaches. And Oh, yeah. I've so heard about that. Yeah. I've never been into basketball or whatever. But growing up, my mom, super into basketball, yeah. obsessed with basketball. She's a huge Houston Rockets fan, you know. Hakeem the Dream Olajuwon, right? Yep. And so <laughs> I, you know, she would take me to games and she would be watching the games constantly at home. And so it just kind of like permeated my life. I didn't mind it. It's fine. I just, I'm not an athletic person. So I just kind of was like, yeah. As an adult, like it's fascinating to me to see anyone who is very, very good at something. Yeah. And people around them just be like, wow, this guy's really good at it. Here's why. Like, here's this, you know, and it's just, Here's all the details about this this thing, and here's what happened in this like moment in history. Here's right. what was occurring. Here's all the ancillary details of what the, led to it. Yeah, and what led up yeah. to it, and what like all the circumstances were, and everything. And it's just so fascinating. Even if you don't give a shit about basketball, yeah. it's still really interesting. And so I'm a and if you could be good at whatever, you could be a good shoe cobbler, and if you're the best shoe cobbler. I want to know the story behind that. So it's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I find myself really fascinating. So I'm on like episode two of this now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Last Dance is amazing. That's a good, that's a good series. And even as a small child who was like, didn't really care about basketball at all. I still like kind of know some of this stuff, which just kind of speaks to how it was just everywhere in society in general. Everyone was always talking about, you know what? I know these people's names. I shouldn't know them. I didn't give a shit about basketball and I was very small. So like the fact that I know who all these people are is, it's kind of interesting. Anyway, it is fascinating. So I was watching that. And I don't give a shit about sports, but it's like fucking awesome. Yeah. I don't know. I also, I'm not really a big. I mean, I have nothing against sports. No, it's no, just, I don't have anything against it. I have no interest in it. But yeah. like, Kathy is a big Rockets fan. And um, a couple of years back, we watched like almost the entire season of the Rockets. And it was fun. It was actually a lot of fun. But it also, towards the end, started to feel like work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like my, you know, my she'll, my mom, I'll go over to my mom's and she'll have it on and whatever. And it's, you know, I'm not going to uh, turn this off. It's fine. Like, it's she's enjoying right. herself. And I like to see how worked up she gets. It's really cute. And uh, she's having a great time. I don't, it's fine. It's people are yeah. enjoying themselves. And, you know, whether you enjoy tennis or or football or soccer or yeah. football is soccer or I don't know, yeah. whatever it is. But if you enjoy Cricket, bowling, basketball, uh, bowling, whatever it is, that's totally we're on board with that. But yeah, so I'm learning a lot about it. Yeah. Now. <laughs> well, I, I think another thing is it's also a very well made documentary series. It really is very and well made. They have these compilations of Jordan just making all oh, these slam incredible. dunks and it's just like incredible, you know, the way that they cut this stuff together. It makes it, you know, very motivating and engaging yeah. to watch it. So it like sucks you in like that too. So. They, the way that they do the interviews is also very it's yeah. well edited it's well yeah done. it's good yeah i'm also still watching succession only one episode to go <laughs> <laughs> i'm freaking out i'm freaking out okay karen culkin let us know let us know if you thought the ending was satisfactory i'm excited excited to hear what your thoughts are karen culkin what about you aubrey what are you seeing and what are you saying well 
the, the, the room that we like to hang out in has really crappy internet. So like I hooked up my PS3 and now we're watching through all of our old Blu-rays. Nice. nice. Excellent. Uh, I love watching old Blu-rays. So uh, we just recently watched um, Eddie and the Cruisers again. Uh, that I was haven't seen that. I was telling you I wanted to watch this. Yeah. This is yeah. another movie that I want to watch. Okay. Yeah. It, what it, is this? Okay. So it's it's a fictional story about this rock band in the early 60s. I already love it. Yes. Uh, they're kind of a... Um, Oh, I have airheads. Uh, no. Greaser, uh, uh, kind of greaser, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, yeah. Okay, American we'll trade. Rock. I'll yeah. watch Eddie and the Cruisers. You have to watch Airheads. Oh, I've seen Airheads. I thought you said you hadn't seen it. Oh no, I thought you said was it like Airheads? Oh no, no, I didn't. Yeah, oh, yeah, no. Brandon Fraser, fucking yeah. amazing. <laughs> I was about to say, I can't believe you haven't seen. Who would win in, a, in an arm wrestling? Lemmy or God? Lemmy. Ah, God. Wrong, dickhead. Lemmy is God. Stuff anyway, yeah. no, that's uh, interesting. Okay, it is like okay, it's it's kind of told in flashbacks because the okay. the singer disappeared or died, you know, and they're like trying to go back in his life, and so you go, they meet the, all the old band members, and okay. it's in the eighties now, right? And they're remembering back to the sixties when they were like forming nice. this band and all that, and then uh, I used to watch it all the time as a kid, and the music is just like really cool. Uh, I really enjoyed it. That's fun. Uh, but then we started watching part two, and we're like, got halfway in. No, we got about thirty minutes into. It, we're like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. and it wasn't bad. It was just boring. Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? That's something I, that's unforgivable. Yeah, yeah. I can't watch a movie that's that's like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'll bring it over. I'll let you borrow. Excellent. Cool. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Very good. Oh, excellent. I just realized because I said Succession has one episode left to go. By the time this episode comes <laughs> out. I'll have already watched it, but haven't recorded my reaction to that. Yes. So don't be confused by the fact that I said I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Is okay. All I'm saying. I, I know it. that everyone's everyone's on the edge of their seat for my opinion <laughs> on this show. It's going to be that it's great. Probably. Okay. I don't know. We're good. Um, what about you, Wes? Do you have anything that you've been checking out lately? I mean, I haven't talked to you guys in a while, so I've checked out a lot since last I talked to you, but. Like, I, so Miss Truesdale came out. God, I still haven't Je- gotten that. Yeah, I mean, I did some catching up on Hellboy Universe stuff, but Jesse Lonergan, I liked his art in it. So I like started looking at his stuff and then I bought a couple t-shirts of his, but he's do he's coming out with his own tarot deck oh, and he has wow, some of nice. the, some of the cards as t-shirts for sale. So I bought oh, nice. a couple t-shirts, t-shirts of his, which I thought were pretty badass. But then That's I've insane. also been doing a dive into Tinian because he's doing the writing for Blue Book with Oming. Oh, so I've been okay, looking at right, more yeah. stuff that he's doing. So he's doing um, World TR33. And then another series that I haven't started yet, but I heard it's somebody, one of the people that work at the comic book store said it's like X-Files. Okay. So I was like, oh, I should bring it up. <laughs> I haven't read it, so I don't know if it's actually like X-Files, but it's uh, the uh, Department of Truth. Um, nice. But it's also oh, by okay. Tinian. So yeah, gonna, I'll check that, that I've out. I've heard of that title, too. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for those. That's a great recommendation. Oh, Jesse Lonergan. I was going to say, um, send me that link to where you ordered to that stuff. Link, and I'll link, I'll link it in the show page. notes. Yeah. Huh? And he did that cool, like, spacey cover for, it was the B cover for one of the sort of Hyperborea. It was the one with the deep sea diver. Right. And the guy. Yeah. One of the variant like, covers. Yeah. One of the variant colors with the floaty fish. Yeah. And he's in his deep sea costume. He did that cover. I don't know. It's like he's got some cool fun art. I really like it. Awesome. Yeah. I'll definitely link him in the show notes. You can check out his stuff there. Excellent. As for me, I guess one thing that I wanted to talk about was the Muppets Mayhem on Disney Plus. Oh, 
Well, it's um, mayhem. That I is like about, yeah. I, 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 I binged that episode all in one day. It was so good. That episode or that series? That it's, a, it's a it's a ten part series. Um, all the episodes are like twenty something minutes. God, it's it so great. funny. It's yeah. so funny. It's so good. If you like the Muppets, it's just about the band. It's very There's a cute. lot of band humor. There's like a There's lot, a lot of, of band, band humor. And, there and, is. And, and, if you're and, in a and band. It's, and it's really funny. It's fucking and funny. It's, and the human characters are not annoying. They're right? really good and they're Fuck. funny. They're, they're funny and they interact well with the, with the you know, the puppets because that's got to be a thing. You know what I Absolutely. mean, right? Absolutely. Being able to you like have interact to be with able them. To, yeah. Don't you mean Muppets? The Muppets, the Muppets. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, you know, they introduce, they have a couple, you know, characters that are new for this show, you know, which I thought were really fun. The songs are really good. Songs like, I'm good. just like, God, it was so good. I want to rewatch it. All just the being... Muppets have had such a glow up as well. The band members, they look fantastic. They look great. They look great. Yeah. But they, they have the classic looks that you know and love. Yes. Just excellent. Yes. The, the just Muppet, excellent quality. The Muppet technology has yeah. come a long way. It's just, it's such a fun fucking show and yeah. like you said like all the band jokes are great you could watch it with your kids it's like kind of one of those yes, things you, you know where you could yeah. watch it with your kids but you would also enjoy it too right um so if you have kids i would highly recommend it because you will get such a kick out of it it was so good it's, it's it was really so good. funny i couldn't believe how funny it was um, okay. i was laughing out be loud one of my questions was, yeah it was really good but we like the muppets though so yeah. you have to i mean if you if I you like don't like you're not gonna like it if you don't like the muppets yeah i love the muppets, <laughs> I, like the muppets. I grew up on the muppets <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's cheesy, but I don't know, quote unquote. Like, if I met a, I would be starstruck. I'd be like, oh my god, it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. The, it's, this is whoever oh, it is, Kermit. Oh man, that's another thing. There's you know? a lot of um, cameos. I yeah. won't spoil any of them, but there's some famous musicians, some famous people that pop up, you know, just for a second in the okay. series. It's really cool. Um, it's a lot of fun. So yeah. like a Muppet show. I mean, like it's, the Muppet you know, show. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's got all. It's got. It's a. It's a feel good time. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. And now, Danielle, I'm going to release you into the wild. What am I doing? Well, Cheddar Cheese has teleported back to his home dimension. So I'm going to the corner store for snacks. You want anything? Can you get me some strawberry Pop-Tarts? I can get you some no strawberry frosting, Pop-Tarts. Please. Frosted or unfrosted? <laughs> no frosted. No frosted. Yeah. Okay. Right on. Uh, can you get me an infinity slice of pie? I can do that. Okay. Check if they have the munchie, the hot munchies. Hot munchies. <laughs> can you explain this? What is this? <laughs> it's product? the munchie bag. It's the got munchie all the bag. Okay. It's got all the different chips in there and it's got the hot in there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Can you get me some powdered donuts? What was that? Oh, the goblin wants some powdered donuts. Oh, okay. We're going to go. Why don't you just come with me cuz you have to you have to pick out the right ones. I don't know which kind you like. We're going to go. I get okay. I'll be back later. Okay, bye. Bye. I All right, like convenience store donuts. <laughs> <laughs> My son loves the convenience store donuts. I'll bring you except he calls them bagels. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and now we're going to go on to our actual book club episode for the week, and this is a special week because we're wrapping up our Baltimore novel. I'm going to throw it over to Wes. Yeah, here I am. I'm going to I'm going to do it now. I'm taking it. <laughs> so we're <laughs> let me figure out where I am. We're finishing the novel. Assuming you guys want to finish it. I mean, it's like boop, pretty easy oh, yeah. to finish. Definitely. <laughs> so we're continuing our discussion with the Baltimore novel. Uh, obviously, it's part of the larger Outerverse world that Mignola writes for and Christopher Golden. We're reading Crescendo, Lux et Aeternum. I nice. mean, there's a few sec- there's a few Latin sections that we'll be reading this time. But you want me to go over the book, all the book details again, published 2007 by Bantam, written by Mike Mignola, Christopher Golden, illustrations by Mike Mignola. 
Sure, you already did you it. You just did it. <laughs> did it. So the last time we left off, we sort of got left off on a on a cliffhanger. Yeah, he Who was, was like, the vampire is coming for my throat, and I didn't run away or shit my pants. Yeah, exactly, and then just shuts <laughs> off. And um, then it just so stopped, from, we don't know what happened. Yeah, that's it. We were in Corsia, and we know it's not the vampire Hagus. We know it's not the person that he was looking for. So just like everything else, we open up with a quote from the steadfast tin soldier. One of the little boys took up the tin soldier and without rhyme or reason threw him into the fire. When I was a kid, I one time threw one of my toys in the fire just so I could watch it melt. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever do anything like that, Wes? Yeah, I absolutely did that in the bonfires. Me and my older brother shot all of our He-Man action figures with BB guns, all of them. We destroyed them all with BB guns. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay, so... um, do you remember the Secret Wars? Yeah. The to- yeah. the Marvel toys? Yeah. Okay, yep. so I had um I had Daredevil and I tied him to a bottle rocket and 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 like the the figure weighed down the 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 fireworks so it didn't go very far and so it just like went it just like went in an arc and it landed on the neighbor's roof <laughs> oh, and no. then and then it just went off up there but I guess since it was like new year's or whatever whatever reason we were popping fireworks like they didn't say anything or whatever but then it just stayed up there and it so became like this devil for a long time it, it it just became this staple like year after year we would watch daredevil turn more and more pink because it had <laughs> been up there on that roof and we couldn't get it down and the neighbor didn't seem to know that it was up there or care so we would just and then finally like i want to say like i don't know seven or eight years later like it finally fell down once like when it rained really hard and like it was all pink and bleached out it was so weird and we were like wow this secret war is daredevil anyway that's that's what that made me think of like destroying something or setting it on fire or whatever that's that's way more interesting than me because i i took i had my very first transformer was brawn a little guy and it broke and i was just like oh well (laughs) shoot throw it in the fire (laughs) just so we can watch it burn yeah I have since replaced Brown. <laughs> Did you ever like lose or lose a toy that like really hurt? Like, and you still like to this day feel the pain of losing that toy? Um, yeah, definitely. But it sounds like you definitely do. <laughs> what <Right>. is yours? <laughs> I brought, you'll like this, John, because you're a Silver Surfer fan, but I brought Silver Surfer to the beach and he was uh, surfing in the waves, right? And yeah. like he got caught by the undertow and pulled out and the surfboard came back, but Silver Surfer disappeared. Oh, oh wow! wow. <laughs> Somewhere there's a silver surfer down there, man. Yeah, and I kept yeah. that surfboard forever. That surfboard <laughs> is probably still in a Tupperware container somewhere. In my wow, house. you're wow. still holding out hope that it'll be reunited someday. <laughs> um, to me, uh, um, <laughs> one time when I was like five, I want to say I used to carry around my Hot Wheels in my shirt, like tucked over. You see what I'm right. Yeah. Uh, and I went to the bathroom holding them like this, and then I went to flush the toilet, and I dropped them, and then like they just all raced down the fucking toilet. Oh no, oh, man! That's gonna... <laughs> Not all of them, but like half of them. And I was right. so sad. And I went to go cry, and my grandfather, and he's all like, "Sorry." <laughs> oh really? He wasn't like you threw how many Hot Wheels down my toilet? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I would have been. Meanwhile. Like. Yeah, meanwhile, it's a septic. Right, right. <laughs> they probably all just ended up in the city of Houston sewers. Right, probably. <laughs> wow. Uh, I don't know. This is so obscure, but do you remember Visionaries? Yeah. Do you remember that? And they had the know. holograms or whatever? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, I do. I know exactly what you're talking about. 
So I had the I had the head one, the main one, the 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 blue guy with the lion thing, mm-hmm. and like I had him in the backyard, and like I hung him from like a vine because they had those like little hands or whatever, and so I was playing with him back there, like he was like swinging on a vine or something, and I think I just like for some reason I went inside, I forgot about it, and I left him back there, and then like when I came back, it was just gone. I never found it again. Oh, I was wow. like, what the fuck happened to this? I was like, it has to be in this backyard somewhere. But like I just never found it. I don't know what happened to it. That that's one that I definitely think about sometimes. Battle beasts too. I really love those. I've been thinking. I was actually thinking about going back and buying some battle beasts, and they're fucking expensive. If you oh, want to wow. go back and buy those, you remember those? Those little yeah, I remember those. Yeah, man, I loved those, and I had a shit ton of them. Like I have four because I found oh, really? uh, my my brother found some when they were cleaning out my parents' house, and. uh and he gave them to me. Oh wow! So I have like a, and, the Battle Beast had the sticker where you ha- like it was the touch, the heat touch where you can like put it on there and yeah, see what and it organization was like, they were part of or whatever. It was like fire, water, or wood, or yeah. something like that. And anyway, all that stuff. Wow. Yeah, I loved that. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, Wes. That was a that was a weird <laughs> tangent. Go ahead. I think it was good. I think it was good. it was nostalgic. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so we pick up Dr. Rose finishes reading and then frantically begins flipping the pages, finding them all blank, ice cross. Can't see what's going on in the book, so he asks um, why he stopped. And Childress, being able to see that the journals are blank, reminds Dr. Uh, Rose of the letter. So they're like, oh yeah, the letter. And they're um, like, and oh they yeah, start- remember how n- annoying it was that we had to stop and read this whole journal before we read the rest of the letter? But we, you wanted, <laughs> you wanted us to go ahead and do it. We wanted to just read the letter, but you said no. Let's just read the journal. So yeah, remember yeah, that. Yeah, could have just part put this part of the letter inside of the journal. Yeah, it could have been like entry. the last few pages, right? <laughs> yeah. So they have a little back and forth um, before they go into the letter for some reason on the fact that the vampire Baltimore fought wasn't the one he'd been trying to find. And it begged the question, like after all this time, did he even find the fiend that he was looking for? Right. Um, I think that it had been less than three years since he woke Haggis. It's like almost three years at this point. Okay. Dr. Uh, Rose returns to the letter from Yanko Volpe's Volpe's comments about how the reader of the letter surely would want to know how, the tale ended from the journal and Yanko goes on to say he does not know the information that Baltimore learned from that vampire, but only his instructions to bring this journal to the three men at a certain place and time. And I can only hope that it has been delivered. So I I guess like, I don't know. I mean that the chapter has to have like a cool cliffhanging. I mean, obviously he had to have written that after he, after the battle, after the (laughs) battle, And he's like, and the vampire lunged at my throat and I didn't look away. And then he's like, that's yeah. enough for now. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's a few things in this book that I was like, why did Baltimore do that? Like, he's a jerk. He's a total asshole. That's that's total. Uh, and that's enough for that. I'll put it in the next journal. He's a writer. He wants people to look for the journals. He wants right, them yeah. to search for them. So. Uh, yeah it's a total dick move he definitely did that on purpose you know one of the dark tower books ends like on a cliffhanger oh okay and the next books didn't come out for like years <laughs> at least we didn't have to wait years right yeah i mean it was just like oh i want to say it was like at least a 10 or 15 year gap 
So uh, Yanko Vulpes goes on to say that if you had the idea of burning this journal after reading it, he thinks it's a good idea, but he lives in a state of fear. So that's probably why he feels that way. I like this line that he says on 237. If, if you are men with courage enough to be called friend by a creature such as Baltimore, perhaps you do not fear the darkness. Perhaps the Red Death has not touched you yet, or perhaps it has, and your scars have forged you into something other than men. You who are friends with Baltimore will understand my meaning. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And they all, they are all kind of like scarred or something like that. They all have like some, you know, weird eccentricity to them. Yeah. Yeah. They all have a crazy story. They're all definitely physically messed up, especially eyes crossed. Yeah. So then the, the letter continues. He refers to Baltimore as the hunter and goes on to say that he instructed everyone to leave the cemetery that night where he was going to meet the vampire and stay in their homes for the night, which they did in fear and shame. Him and his father feel like, oh, I, like I'm shame. I'm ashamed of myself that I went back to my home that night instead of mm. staying there and fighting with Baltimore. He and his father didn't sleep. It didn't sound like anybody that night went to sleep. Um, his father tended to the fire and eventually Yanko came and joined him. When dawn finally came, they flew open the doors and went outside to go see what happened, I guess. Excited. Yeah, excited. like... I mean, you think about it, like, Baltimore's going to go down there and find all the vampires, and then you just have to wait and see what happened. It's like, oh, well, yeah. I guess we'll just go home and just sit around, and I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens. You know what I mean? Like, anyway, that's all you can do. That would suck. On the beginning of their walk, Yanko's father stops and smiles and grabs Yanko and is like, hey, you know, there were no screams last night. You know, he says with a smile, he's like, oh, that's pretty, that's amazing. I've never had that before. <laughs> They hurry back to the church. This is when Yanko starts to realize how old his father is because he's having trouble going slow enough to wait for his father. He's like in a rush to get to the church. When they get there, they see other people are also on their way to the same place, heading to the cemetery, heading to the church. Others were touched by the plague in this town, obviously. Yanko noticed new growth in the front of the church. There's like a green patch of grass, mm. which was like a good sign, or he never noticed it, but it was like the... He said it was the most color he had seen in Korsha for some time. They see Tibor, the gravekeeper, and ask Tibor what happened last night if he saw anything because his house looks at the chapel. And he said he didn't hear or see anything, only silence the whole night. And then all of a sudden, all these fingers point towards the entrance and the, the door opens and a shape appears in the doorway. But Yanko knows this to be Baltimore because he can hear his wooden peg leg. Yeah, walking. he's like, ah, oh, I recognize the sound of that peg leg anywhere, <laughs> anywhere I would go. There, there's a, this image of a heart. I thought this yeah. was interesting based on like how we know the thing is going to end. But, yeah. in, in, but in the context of what we're reading, it, it, it's kind yeah, of... Yeah, it doesn't fit. Yeah, it's definitely the vampire's heart. I'll say it does fit because he brings out the heart. Oh, that's yeah. what he brings out. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. He brings it out in that page, just not in that paragraph that it's, yeah, shape. Yeah, it just happens a little bit lower. In the digital, it has it before you turn the page and read Yeah, that, that makes part. sense. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's like grouped in with a paragraph that's pre that paragraph. Right. But then on the page, it's on the same page. In that's the, pretty cool, the, though. That, I like that. Yeah, it's cool. I don't know. Mignola always does that stuff too, like throws stuff in the show, like, what the heck is that? And then you learn a little bit more about it. And then yeah. you learn more about it. You have more questions. You're like, what the hell, man? You just made me have more questions. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Baltimore comes out and says, the sickness is gone from Corsia. The plague will trouble you no more. 
this is the vampire's heart and he holds the heart. It must be boiled. I, I want to know like how many trial and errors he went through to figure out that this is what you need to do with the heart. <laughs> you got to do, do step one, <laughs> right. boil it. Step you two, like, make a broth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He like knows how to do this. So he tells them to boil it in clear water, make a broth from it and feed it to all those who are still ill. Korsha is free, but not healed yet. The damn coward of a priest you betrayed, who betrayed his faith is inside, dead, repaid tenfold for his sins. You must take him and burn him, and then tear down the church and burn every board, every splinter. Find another priest and rebuild. And it's yeah. like, he says all these things, and it's like, are you sure we have to do all that? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it's also like when, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to jump ahead, but like there are cases, right, where he kills the fiends or the vampires and nobody like nobody they're not affected by the play because they were bit by that head honcho right so, do they really need to drink this heart broth i don't know i don't know yeah I, yeah and i don't think they talk about that in the comic in no the i comic, don't yeah. it's more like maybe, maybe, if, if the vampire is killed then it's kind of all right maybe this is the first time he's trying it out yeah he's like make these guys the guinea pigs <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's try this yeah, I know. You're right. This might be one of his trial and errors. This is one of the trials. And he says, um, he says the priest is dead. So did he kill him or was he killed by all the monsters, I guess? Because all of them. Probably the monsters. Right. All the vampires came out or something. Yeah. I was thinking he was killed by the all the all the dead people or something like that. Like his right membership. Well, and he's even like, uh, find another priest and rebuild, but not here. He's like, nothing yeah, will not ever grow here. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. cool. I mean, it's not faith cool. Faith least but of all. Faith least of all. Yeah, that's a great yeah. line. Yeah, no, it's cool. There's like a dark yeah. spot there that God can't see you, so don't. Right, or something, yeah. So he goes on. So an old midwife named Revika takes the heart. And Revika was was explained to be this fragile old lady who was so old that she was the midwife for Yanko's grandmother when right. she birthed his father, who was really old. Couldn't even run to the cemetery so old. <laughs> she did as baltimore asked made a broth for everybody and the night after she did everything that baltimore asked she died in her sleep right. um, i looked up revica to see if i could find anything about the name it, apparently it's a it's a hebrew name for to bind like to bind something i don't okay. know if that has any relevance but i thought it was cool that is cool yeah thank you for looking that up great detail um baltimore returns to the hotel where Yanko, where the Volpes run the hotel. That's where he gives his instructions to Yanko about the journal and bringing it to his friends. So I like I think if the journal entries happened in 1919, so we didn't have a year there. You know what I mean? Like it was just oh, like, okay, remember we were yeah. reading them and it was like June 11th, 19 blank. And we didn't know. If it yeah. happened in 1919, then this is three months before them reading the journal at the inn. Oh, okay. Okay. Something okay. like that. I like that. Thanks for figuring that out. I love knowing stuff like that. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a while for them to all get the message and then travel to the place and or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like a two year gap of like he hunts the vampire for three years, but there's like a two year gap of like, I don't know what happened in those two years. We know we don't really have any anything that mm. happened like in, okay. the, in the first book or this book. That's not when. um. I think I I, I want to think that him and Ice Cross went back and partied like in in Europe or whatever. Remember, <laughs> <laughs> they were, yeah, remember when they were being bros? They're like, hey, let's go be bros again. Maybe that's what they did. 
maybe. Well, he also gets in. He gets with the Inquisitor Duvik. Like he gets involved with that dude, and that's oh, all right. Like, yeah, yeah. In twenty seventeen or something like that, that he messes around with Duvik and Duvik. Nineteen seventeen. Nineteen seventeen. Yeah, nineteen. Yeah, yeah. What did I say? Twenty seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> he knows he's going to be involved in that a hundred years later. <laughs> I like the idea that he goes back and to their house afterwards. Yeah, you know what him. I mean? Like after all this is done, he's like, "Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to come back and hang out with you guys again. We had some adventures already in your house, and it was now we're bonded." Yep. Yeah, I mean, he makes friends for life. That's for sure. Yeah. So Yanko goes on to write, "If this letter in the journal have arrived safely in your hands, I have done as the hunter asked. All that remains for me is to wish you well, friends of Baltimore." I would pray to God to watch over you, but I do not believe he listens. Respectfully yours, Yanko Volpe's. Dang. So I sort of understand better, too, like why he, assuming it was Yanko who dropped off the journal, although it could have been, you know, just a, just a male person. But like if Yanko dropped it off and was like, yeah, I don't want to meet these guys. I don't want to be involved with any of this anymore. Like he right, said to burn yeah. the journal. He's like, I don't want to be involved with this anymore. Like I'm out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then we go to chapter two. This is where it like everything sort of folds over with the comic. Like we have a lot of overlap here with the comic, but the innkeeper starts walking around the pub area and putting out all the candles in the pub. The doctor asks the group, where is he? He says, talking about Baltimore, like where's Baltimore at this point, they have been at this pub for 12 hours. Childress says they have to admit that Baltimore may not be joining them. As Rose asks, you think he's dead? And Dr. Rose doesn't think it's possible considering all the effort to get them there and nothing to alert them of his passing if that had been the case. He just put all this work in. He'll be there. He, they, yeah. Dr. Rose believes he'll be there. Well, then, where is he? Childress says. So we wait then, Dr. Rose asks. Childress replies, wait, what else can we do? The innkeeper tells them that they need to shut her off and leave as he is closing for the night. So we, this is like the same in the book. It's like pretty much yeah. the same in the book. The innkeeper then turns over his shoulder and loud, yells at a local townie at the bar, this means you too, Bentley. Um, we know Bentley from the Chapel of Bones story, which was the last story we read from the comic book. Yes. Yes. And, and we discussed that on episode 38 of this podcast. So if you want to go back and get our hot takes from when we first read it, I don't know if they're hot takes. I just wanted to say that. If you wanted to get our takes from the... From the... Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. <laughs> All of our takes are hot uh, yeah, takes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, we put them in the toaster before we give them to you. Before we... <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we even butter them up. <laughs> put some butter on that Pop-Tart. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, and that was like July 26th. That was 10 months ago that we did that. That we read Oh, that wow. <laughs> Has it been that long? Wow, yeah. yeah, you're right. That's nuts. Yeah, and then we get a cool illustration of Bentley in, in the book, at least. Yeah, and he looks a lot like he does in the comic. He kind of looks like Edgar Allan Poe a little bit. They make he does look like Poe. I don't know if that's like on purpose or not. I'm sure. I'm sure. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. He does look like Poe. And we've. I think we said that before when we read the book. I have to go back and listen to the episode. But I think you may have said that when yeah. when we did the comic book. As Cross asks, "What now?" Doctor Rose sort of suggests to Childress that he can afford a room and that they should ask the innkeeper who's excited to negotiate with them. Yeah, but um, then Bentley spoils his fun. We're like, hey, guys, come stay with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Bentley's like, yo, come up to my loft. You can check out my art studio. So he interrupts the negotiations. He's like, come up there. If you want. To, if you have a friend that's coming, you can go up there and wait. And I, I like this because, uh, well, when we read the comic, we noticed that. 
the innkeeper looks all pissed off when Bentley comes up and t- invites them upstairs. And we even speculated, like, um, is he pissed off because he knows that he's doing some evil shit or is it because he's, he's, and then we were like, Oh, it's probably because he's taking a room from him. And then yeah. here they, they specifically spell it out that that is, but it comes across in the artwork. I mean, kudos to, you know, um, Stanbeck. Stanbeck. Stanbeck and Christopher Golden, you know, um, for making sure that those details were in there because it's evident in the comic that the innkeeper is like super pissed about this whole interaction. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that you're like, yeah, I totally see that. Bentley explains that he's a painter. I mean, this is all stuff we went over when we read the comic, but there's some more filler stuff in here. The descriptions of the hotel rooms are pretty dreadful in this book. We don't really get that, like, going through the comic. But Yeah, yeah. They say, like, everything is off kilter. Dr. Rose couldn't fathom why Henry asked them to meet here at this specific place. Bentley makes them comfortable, offering them some brandy. His studio is nice, big ceilings, and a... Window and coming out of the ceiling, a uh, what's it called? A uh, skylight, right? Yeah, and there's like art supplies everywhere. There's moonlight coming in, illuminating an easel in the middle of the studio. There's like random piles of, of stuff everywhere. Bentley lights a single oil lamp and sort of shines it around his studio. And he comes across the painting in the middle of the room that the large easel is holding. And Dr. Rose, when he sees it, draws in a deep breath. And he saw a picture of the story that we heard earlier of a large bear slipping into the skin of a Nordic soldier. Yeah. Icecross asks what he saw, and Dr. Rose says, Demon bear. Icecross says, The giant Sinwood puppet. Yeah, so everybody sees something different. Right. You know, when I read the comic, because I read the comic before I read the novel, I didn't read the novel first. Oh, okay. Like they say this stuff up here, the puppet, the demon bear, and then they call yeah. out the book. You know, I didn't connect it. They were all seeing something different. Right, right. Well, and uh, Childress is seen. El yeah. Cuero. Yeah, what the heck is that thing? El Cuero. El yeah. Cuero. Yeah, El Cuero. yeah. Childress yep. has seen that in there. He's like, and, and in the comic, it's pretty cool, too, because, well, first of all, you need to know that detail, you know what I mean? Or else it doesn't exactly make sense. Yeah, you're right. But yeah. But at first, you don't see what they're looking at when they all say different things and then. He's like, and look again, and then you do see it, and you're like, oh, fuck. It immediately shows you that there's something supernatural about the painting as well. Right, exactly. Yeah, so they look again, and then it's the Red King. It's no longer what they yeah. were seeing earlier. It's a totally different painting. What in hell is this, Bentley? Childress demands while reaching into his coat for his pistol. Why, it's my masterpiece, the artist reply. And we get that sweet illustration of it too yeah we get the illustration of it and then we also in both of them in the comic and in the book we get the yeah the red king but we get the exact wording and everything where he's like what in hell is this bentley and he pulls the gun on him so i like seeing the 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 parallels there you know it was like once we got to this part of the book i was like i know where this is going (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly dr rose frantically looks around and notices the pile that he saw earlier is actually bones they're not it's not kindling and that there's bones throughout the sculptures in the walls and chapel of bones yeah it's a chapel of bones that's the name of the of that comic book run walls with intricate decoration sort of reminds me of temple of doom oh yeah like the illustrations i think we said that when we read the comic too it's like temple of doomish there must have been hundreds of human skeletons in that room dr rose says and then bentley's response i hear his voice you see my master speaks to me from the mouths of the dead through their skulls from the echo of their bones now what about that brandy he asks them <laughs> a sound like a moaning of the winter wind begin to thrum in the room 
and then it sank down into a single, richly resonant voice. Don't trouble yourself, Bentley. I think we can safely skip the brandy. Yeah. So we know who that is. And we know why Baltimore is taking so long because he's going to get in a battle with some, some zombies. Oh, uh, right. Just... Yeah. In the So we see Baltimore's side of it as well, where he's got to fight off all these other guys before he gets yeah. there. Yeah. I think those are the same guys that were messing with Ice Cross when he was right yeah yeah ice Chris gets ready to fight as if he's gonna be in a bar brawl he was like gets his fist ready he pulls his knife out of his belt a thin figure emerges from the shadow we know who this is this is the fiend baltimore's prize you know it's interesting is like um they never mention his name in the book yeah you know he's just the vampire you yeah, know vampire. um that that's pretty interesting I, I didn't even realize that until you brought that up aubrey but that is a interesting detail yeah. uh, you know in, in in this book there's the vampire that the big one that he fights in the church which doesn't have a scar and then there's this one but i don't really think there's much more than that and they were like in the comic we're gonna need to start naming these guys because we can't just say <laughs> you know what i mean the one without the scar and the one with one right you know there, <laughs> right. there's gonna be more so we have to start putting names to them so anyway yep yeah so they see Hagus come out of the shadows the vampire and the vampire with the scar come out of the shadows and explains the way he looks like a devil a single red eye scar through the side of his face across a hollow orbit the shadows blink in there while this is going on so i'm trying to like understand how that looks but yeah it's, it's like almost like a scary strobe effect almost you know what i mean like yeah. the lights just like momentarily like blink or whatever turn off for a second yeah that'll creep the hell out of me yeah totally like, uh, kind of like a when the power goes out for a brief second comes right, right back on. yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. only these guys don't have power <laughs> <laughs> yeah the vampire with a scar looks like a sickly old man. He's not like, you know, they know him to be from um, Baltimore stories. Not another step, Childress said, pointing his gun towards Hagus. Icegross takes a step forward towards Hagus as well, like tightening his grip on his knife. And then he goes through imagining cutting off his head with his knife, thinking that he couldn't live without a head, even though he's a vampire. He shouldn't be able to live without a head. <laughs> Icecross is awesome. He's just a brute. He's just a straight up brute. He's ready to um, fight. He's ready to throw down like at every second. Yeah, every second. Whereas, but he must have gone to jail or something. No, maybe not. I don't know. But it's like, what the heck? Why is he like this? <laughs> when they tried to arrest him, he just beat the shit out of them and got away. Right. <laughs> uh, where is Baltimore? Hagus asks. As he asks the question, he tilts his head like a bird, sort of like almost like a animal. Hagus explains he could smell Baltimore on them, and that Bentley heard their conversation in the pub. Hagus was able to hear the conversation through Bentley, which I thought was a cool, like we don't get a yeah. lot of that in the comic book either. Yeah. That's right. pretty cool. That's how he's using him or he's using some sort of vampire power or something like that. Yep. You're his friends. The vampire says ice crow smiles, which I think is also cool. And they explained that as like, this is his like response to things and it might make people feel like he's right. crazy. Maybe they're yeah. less, but I don't know if it's as methodical as it's just a response that ice Chris has. Yeah. We get a lot of cool illustrations of the chapel of bones or whatever. Yeah. All the bone arrangements and the bone piles are pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of, lots of skeleton heads, lots of skulls, yeah. skeleton heads. Yes. <laughs> that is the correct terminology. <laughs> Bring him forth. You fools. The time has come at last for the hunter to capture his prey. I grow tired. He says, so we start learning like, Hey, guess is done. He doesn't want to do this anymore. I, I think they mention it later, but uh, I thought it was interesting that like he's been on the run so much that he hasn't been able to rest, yeah, and he hasn't yeah. been able to feed, 
at like the like a vampire would so that's why he's all like old and desiccated and stuff like that is because like he has to be on the run because of baltimore for like two years or whatever yeah you know so and vampires need to be in their coffins and shit like that you know what i mean so he hasn't been able to do any of that stuff um i thought that was pretty cool yeah that was really cool he goes over more of like why he's acting the way he's been acting like tormenting baltimore he goes over all the you know we were happy we were in a slumber lucid dream state feeding on whatever the war had woke us up but baltimore woke me up and i you know i want to destroy baltimore break his spirit thought he could break his spirit but in breaking his spirit he was turned into something else something fueled by something else i don't know yeah it makes me think like what is he fueled by is he fueled by god or is he fueled by you know what is he fueled by i mean it's kind Spite. of like yeah <laughs> i don't know it's all yeah it is almost like that is probably the best answer aubrey yeah. is like a some sort of oppositional determination to be against this thing it's it reminds me of um you know, I don't know what you think of the M. Night Shyamalan stuff. I'm not saying he's great, but Unbreakable was good. Yeah. And in, in that movie, they introduce an idea that, like, Mr. Glass, his obsession is, well, if there's someone like me who's super fragile, then there has to be somebody else who's super strong. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. there has to be the, the opposite end of the spectrum. Like, if one if one part of the dyad exists, then the other one has to. So that's what it kind of reminds me of. Like, he woke Haggis... And so now Haggis has become this thing. There has to be a counter to it. And yeah. for some reason, it's him. It's like he woke Haggis and turned Haggis into this part of the dyad. And then Haggis breathed the whatever into his leg and turned him into the, the other opposite. part of it. Yeah. yeah. And they both kind of influenced the other. You know, what is it on the first, on the 89 Batman where he's like, you made me. I made you, or uh, I don't know. Wait, what you made me? I made you. You made me. Yeah, yeah. What are you talking about? I made you. You made me first. Hey, bad brain. I mean, I was a kid when I killed your parents. I mean, I say I made you. You gotta say you made me. How childish can you get? Huh? You would hit a guy with glasses, would you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's what it kind of reminded me of. Anyway, I think that's a really interesting I, that whole idea that um, just by Baltimore, and I think we talked about this before too, like. Should he have just let himself be killed? Because by defaming himself against Haggis, like he unintentionally, just by trying to preserve his life, you know, kickstarted this whole thing. Like the plague is his fault. Well, Everything, it, it, it is, you know, would it have happened anyway? You know, maybe it would have just been some other guy, you know what I mean? And I don't know. I don't know. It's um, weird to think about. Well, I mean, maybe he was chosen for a purpose to wake it up and start it to kind of start the um i don't know like some apocalypse type battle between the red death and sure or red king or whatever you know yeah kind of like a similar theme to like hellboy you know i mean which we've talked about at length but yeah that's a cool idea yep he kickstarted the apocalypse (laughs) i don't know Hagus, but if like Hagus goes on to talk more about how he's exhausted and stuff like that uh childress says if exhaustion weighs so heavily on you will relieve you of the burden, not you, the vampire side at him. Him, he says. He talks about running for years and calling up storms, but Baltimore always kept pace, and he is tired now. Yeah, that's when it says it. Let it end. Let it end, Haggis says. He talks to the painting. He asks his majesty one last boon before his end. Yeah. In the comic, he kind of caresses the painting. You know, yeah. he like puts his hand on it. It's funny. He wants these three men, his friends, dead when Baltimore arrives, essentially. The shadows... 
sliver and flutter across the room. I imagine that being like if a bunch of bats were in the room and they sort of just like flutter their wings, maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of has a really cool depiction of this. Um, I really like looking at this alongside with the comic because you literally see like it's like almost like black skin or black, I don't know, something that's coming out. And so as they shoot it or as they kill it, you see it like blow away, you know, or whatever. Um, it's a yeah. really cool effect that they how they're able to capture that. Yeah, they can like hurt the things and then it, and then as it comes back, they come back to life as it like, right. engulfs yeah. the shadow skin. Yeah. The skin shadow. It also almost looks like a vapor, too. It's like a vapor and a skin, and uh, it's very weird. Right. Is it shadow, though? Like, if the light was on, would they not... I think they even talk about, like, when they let more light in, once the fire starts, like, it all starts to retreat or something. Yeah, I thought they called it a shadow in the book. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they called it a shadow in the book, but it's like a black oil, bird-like shadows. Yeah, I don't know. It's a weird thing. So these next three chapters are, like, the first chapter is, it's the fight from Dr. Rose's perspective, right. and yeah. it's Childress's perspective, and then it's Ice Crow's perspective. It's all in the Chapel of Bones comic that we covered right. on episode 38? Yes, yes. Well, So this is the part I wanted to talk about, because when, we're, when we get Dr. Rose... It brings him to his knees, doesn't it? Something like that. Like he starts to like collapse where he can't like get up. The air in the room was thick with evil. So oppressive it had driven Dr. Rose to one knee, but he would not succumb again. Yes. That's the part I was talking about. Thank you, Aubrey. Mm -hmm. So like there's something supernatural going on in the room. Like there's like a presence or something that is, I don't know. I thought I really liked that idea that, just being in there is oppressive and difficult to just stand your ground, you know what I mean, or or whatever. It's so much that it brings him to one knee. Anyway, I thought that was like a, a cool detail. Yeah, and Dr. Rose, I think, gives in at one point where he's like, he gets picked up by Wraith and brought up to the skylight, and he's... Like, I'm gonna, I give up, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let myself die. And then I forget what happens, like, he falls for some reason and then lands on like the paint supplies and all that stuff. Right. And then he's like, no, I'm not. I'm I'm in this. I'm still in this. I'm I'm going to fight to the end. And he sort of like right. wakes up out of it. Childress talks about the fire. He sees Dr. Rose fighting uh, like setting the fire and fighting off and he's like, "Yeah, I get him, Dr. Rose." He like thinks to his head, he's like, "Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, Dr. Rose. Get him." <laughs> and then he like shoots his gun and throws his gun and then runs to a stool and breaks the stool on one and then he throws the leg from the stool at the at the skylight. I see. Okay. I don't know, but it is, you get a, you get some internal monologue, like, you know, everybody's sort of watching each other. Childress comments on Demetrius is like cursing and he curses God. And he's like, yeah. I heard some cursing. And I look over and it was Demetrius was cursing. Right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he like gets taken down, but that like each of them are almost engulfed by the shadow and in thought, you know, sort of being like, a, like a, that's it. Or having to tell themselves, no, I'm going to fight to the end. I'm going to do this. We're, we're going to do right, this. I'm right. going all the way to the end. Yeah, I don't know. Haggis like watches this whole thing. But you do you get three different takes. Childress's action is pretty fun. He's a, he's a badass. I like Childress. But there's also like a part I think that we got to mention is Childress, when the flames start, he's reminded of a time when he got the scars on his face of when he ran into a villa to save a girl who he had loved, uh, mm. Graciana. But she still died. Yeah, he got her out of the fire, but when they got out of the fire, she had already been dead. That's Im- that's important for later. Right, right. Is Childress the one fighting with the stool? 
or whatever. Yeah, he ends up fighting with the stool. He has a gun for a little while, and then he runs out of bullets, and he gets the stool. Yeah, and then he, like, uses the stool until it's, like, pieces. Like, it's literally where it's, like, one leg of it left, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's pretty badass. Like, he literally uses, like, that entire thing as a weapon, you know, until it's completely gone. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, when the locker whacked that dude with that luggage rack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You gotta be adaptable and resourceful. Yeah, and even still, he gets that last little piece of leg left, and he chucks it at the skylight, and then the oxygen runs in, and then the flames sort of burst out even more, and it started Right, opening. yeah. So I think even, like, um, Dr. Rose ends up getting like a leg from a sculpture or something like that that he uses as a club too. Right. And Dr. Rose is the one it. that he lights it with that last cigarette that he had or the, la- the last the match, match yeah. that he had. Yeah. Like we get some stuff from Ice Cross's fight where he sees Dr. Rose get his other fingers bit off. Oh, like right. right. Yeah. Three race get on him and they, they bite off his fingers or whatever on his other hand here. He was already missing the fingers on one hand and then they bite him off on the other hand to make it even, I guess, which is yeah. just oh. cruel. <laughs> I just, really just is. Cruel. Yeah, I mean, just kick this guy while he's down. You know what I mean? Yeah. I remember reading the comic book and then seeing that later and be like, he lost the fingers on his other hand or thinking it was a mistake. I was like, wait, wasn't his other hand? And then it'd be like, what? He lost his fingers on his other hand. <laughs> the same fingers on both hands? Jesus. The vampire's like, I'm going to make you symmetrical. Yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah, they find that at some point, Childress screams out Henry because Henry, Henry ends up coming to the doors, right? All of a sudden, the door opens and, it, and like there's a cool breeze that comes in. They feel like a cool breeze that comes in. Right, yeah. It it says the door bursts open, and then in the comic, you actually see that, too. You see, like, the door, like, completely come off the hinges or whatever as Baltimore steps in. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Lord Baltimore stood upon the threshold, cloaked in his military greatcoat, weapons hanging all about him. Firefly flickered and gleamed upon his shaven head and wide, dark eyes. Dun-dun-dun-dun! Here he comes. Here he comes. Childress cries out. He goes, Henry, like like a greeting from an old friend. They describe him. Yeah. Baltimore seems not to hear him. He just goes like there's a little hesitation. All the wraiths sort of hesitate in this moment. Right. Yeah. There's like they say all the air is like sucked out of the room for a second or whatever. Yeah. Like everybody. They all just check out Baltimore for a second. They're like, man, this dude is he's wild. (laughs) Yeah. And he comes in and he goes to work. And he, like the way that he, um, I guess, gets rid of all these races, so there's definitely something supernatural at work here, right? He like flies around the room, super agile, sort of like Spider-Man, I guess. But he's, but then they also, in the same sentence or the next sentence, talk about how his lumbering leg just clunks around the room. But, he, right. but he's like super agile with it. Yeah, it made me think like it would almost be like he's flying around like he's dancing or something, and you would just hear like the you know what I mean, or something like that as he's like flying around the room with that wooden leg. I mean, it's a pretty interesting description. I thought it was pretty cool, but yeah, definitely in the book, all this stuff happens. Doctor Rose gets his fingers bit off. The uh, uh, Childress is fighting with the stool. Ice Cross is getting is fighting with his bare hands and getting all beat up and chomped on. And then Baltimore comes in right as they're all about to get killed. Right. Okay. So in the comic, he comes in before that, and then there's a big fight scene with Baltimore. And then we see Doctor Rose get his fingers chopped off, or you know what I mean? Like, oh, okay. 
Baltimore yeah, comes in first the in the comic, which I thought was interesting, the way that they, like, pace that. You would think they would keep it the same way, wait until they're in the most dire straits, and then have him come in. But in, in either event, I like how they incorporated all those parts in there, because yeah. you do see Dr. Rose get his, like, you see the three race, you know, go for him and get all, get his fingers, and I'm like, holy shit, like, they really took the details from the book and made sure that it lined up, you know, which yeah. I really appreciate. It's just like so much fun to, to look at after finishing the book. Yeah. in the book they described like his saber doing, it seemed like it was doing more damage than what they were using to, to hurt the race. Like, oh, really right. Like it was like, like mad, like his sword was magical or he was imbued with some power. Right. Exactly. And then we get ice crosses in the comic book. You get ice crosses story with the monk mixed in with baltimore doing battle whereas in this book we got it way early as one of the early stories as, as part movie. of his chapter right or something like that yeah as part of ice crosses chapter yeah exactly so i don't know he, he dismantles all these wraiths they're called in the book pretty handily does pretty awesome yeah um yeah. one of my favorite shots is uh sorry i'm just looking at the comic now um where he's like uh ice cross is like i'm gonna go in there too start kicking some ass and then children's is like wait a second you know we're 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 not meant to go do that that's just for baltimore we're just meant here to be witnesses or whatever you know what i mean yeah and in the comic when he says that we're witnesses there's this great shot of like baltimore just running this one through and you see all the black shadow coming off the skull that is so awesome i absolutely love that i don't know like not that the action wasn't good the first time but reading through all of this and then going through it like i appreciate it more you know what i mean yeah i, I agree yeah yeah totally yeah i meant to bring that part up yeah we're witnesses evil ebb towards baltimore vampire watched as baltimore just dis- dispatched all the wraiths when finished he took a glance at his friends like he quickly just t- like looks over at his friends briefly and then goes and looks at the vampire with the scar on his face baltimore pauses in front of the painting of the red king as the vampire shambled forth to meet him. And we get into the last chapter, or the last section, I guess. We get a tin soldier quote as well. But this one is the finale, Libra Me, which is Rescue Me in, in Latin. Oh, okay. Rescue me. And then the, the quote from the steadfast tin soldier is, he looked at the maiden and she looked at him, and he felt that he was melting away. But he still managed to keep himself erect, shouldering his gun bravely. The Steadfast Tin Soldier by Hans Christian Andersen. Man, that's a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. really sad. Yeah. I haven't even read the story. I know that it's sad already. I mean, you pretty much get the gist of everything if you just read those quotes through the book. Right, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. So yeah, I was going to read this first paragraph of this part. In that moment, surrounded by the fire and darkness, Baltimore is steadfast tin soldier once again. At the end of that old tale, the soldier has been thrown into fire and now has come to pass in reality. Once more, he faces his own evil, the goblin, the jack, now out of his box. We keep hearing the jack. So I guess yeah. the scarred vampire is the jack, but there's more evils like little kids that throw you into fires. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tie you to a bottle rocket or whatever. Shoot you with BB guns. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, in this chapter, Baltimore talks about how he's finally come to kill this vampire and now he's seeing it and it looks weak and it wreaked havoc to his life. It like killed his family members. He has... Right. nails on his leg that are from monsters who were people and creatures that he once loved and this this guy was the reason why all that 
happened in his life. And now look at him. He's like a shell of what he was, the torment of Baltimore's life. Right. Yeah. He asked, what are you? The vampire is a shadow of a shadow, he explains. Why do dead men rise up to torment the living? He asks Haggis. Haggis goes over the same things, he reiterates. The war woke them up and they were like in a semi-state of sleep, but Baltimore was the one that woke him and in so doing woke up everybody else. The awareness spread through the monsters when Baltimore struck that vampire in front of him. Baltimore says it started with us and it will end with us. So Baltimore thinks like, hey, once I kill this vampire with a scar on his face, then I'll die too. It started that day in the forest and it will end today in this shitty inn. (laughs) (laughs) But Haggis must know something, right? Because he laughs. He doesn't. He sort of laughs at this. Well, yeah. He says, at last we both may rest. And I thought this was interesting. So in the comic... Then Haggis has a whole comeback, and he says, no, you'll never rest. And then Baltimore runs him through with the sword. But in here, he just laughs. Yeah, but he doesn't yeah. tell Baltimore. He doesn't say, you're never going to rest. Yeah, he doesn't say that. It's interesting. It's in the comic. Yeah, weird. Yeah, but but I think it, it that, ca- that kind of captures that sentiment, is that the fact that he laughs. When Baltimore yeah, says, he now does we will now. rest, he's like, well, I will, but you're not. Right. He runs through Haggis, and Haggis turns into a pile of dust and ash and then after he's done with that he walks up to the painting and he cuts the painting with his saber right as he walks past it right and as he does that there's like a a heavy weight fills the room all the flames get snuffed out there's like icicles that fill the room right and baltimore realizes i guess in this moment that he's probably weaponed for more than just killing the vampires that they were symptoms that he was fighting but the plague actually comes from a bigger thing and it's the Red King that's in the painting. Like we see the images moving inside this on the canvas is moving around and sees him. And the Red King has now knows Baltimore. Maybe maybe the Red King didn't know Baltimore was there. But now the Red King knows that Baltimore is there. It's kind of like yeah. um, it's a weird parallel because just like he woke Haggis and caused all this thing, he kind of woke the Red King and brought the Red King to his, you know, to his uh, attention. At least the to same him. Way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I just assume yeah, that uh, the Red King was off doing Red King shit, and then Baltimore slashes a painting. He's like, wait a second. Yeah, what is that? Yeah. Yeah, totally. What was that? The Ghostbusters 2? What was the name of that demon inside the painting? Not Vigo. Vigo. <laughs> yeah, Vigo. <laughs> Vigo the Carpathian. There you go. Thank you, Aubrey. Ah, Vigo, the scourge of Carpathia, the sorrow of Moldavia, command you. I don't know. It's cool that the painting's sort of like coming to life and it and it notices him. Yeah. And you're right. He like drew his attention of the Red King to himself. I mean, he had to destroy the painting too. Like it's the same kind of thing. Just like when he killed Hag- when he sliced Hagas, he was defaming himself. And here, like. If he hadn't slashed the painting, then the evil would have still been in that inn or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Or burned up. I mean, there's like parades celebrating the Red King and stuff like that. So. Oh, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, going on, it's going to a lot of places. It's infecting the world. The three men join Baltimore by the painting. We, it describes Bentley's in the corner. who He slit his throat inside the chapel that he made to his god. And he's a, it's a death that will never even be noticed by his god he'll go unnoticed interesting little ending to that section yeah yeah so then we get into the last section of the book coda so then we get we get one more quote from the steadfast tin soldier by this time the soldier was reduced to a mere lump and when the maid took away the ashes the next morning she found him in the shape of a small tin heart all that was left of the dancer was her spangle 
and that was burnt as black as coal. So when the kid comes in and throws the soldier into the fire, like the soldier standing there and like melting and looking uh-huh. at the paper dancer, and then a, like a wind comes and blows the paper dancer into the fire with him, and she burns up and he melts, and they like sort of right. get destroyed together. Make this thing together, whatever, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. That's how it is in that book. So then we go into the coda of here, which coda means tail. I don't know why. I don't know what coda means, but you guys know what coda means? Uh, somebody just told me it means tail. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the end. I mean, it means the end. It's just like an extra little bit of a story, or like yeah, a yeah like a like, and, and it's often used like as a musical term. Okay, you know, to be like a little tail, to be the end of the music. You know, the tail end. Yeah, yeah, because we had the crescendo at the beginning of this last. Oh, section that's another that musical too, term. Yeah, 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 which is that like means, the hi- yeah, it's like the loudest part or the it it, it means it's it getting louder to loud. Yeah, it's yeah. getting louder. Crescendo. So Doctor Rose leads the men down the stairs. He has his final cigarette in his jacket, which he like conserved for like a special moment when he needed it. And he's like, I don't even really have the desire to smoke anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was, that was really, I don't know. I, I totally get that sentiment sometimes where I like, I don't know, this is so stupid, but I'll be like, I'm going to eat something horrible. You know what I mean? Like I'll tell myself, <laughs> man, on Friday, I'm going to treat myself and I'm going to eat this horrible thing that I've been wanting to eat. And then when Friday comes around, I'm like, oh, I don't even want that anymore. I don't know. Or I've, I've done other things like that too. I can't think of a good example, but that's a good example. You hold like a vice yeah, for a yourself. Example. And then when the time comes around, you're like, yeah, we get a nice finger. Dr. Rose's finger on this. On the page. Oh no, <laughs> Dr. Rose. Oh no. Gosh, that's gruesome. Who has that original art? Who has the original art of Dr. Rose's finger? That's what I want to know. <laughs> That's what, yeah, I know. that's so funny. And then the illustration of the heart on the next page, it's in like the same spot as when we were reading Yanko's letter. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. So one of the guys slips in and grabs a bunch of cloth from one of the rooms. Like all the rooms are vacant. People have run out. So they're thinking like the fire happened. Yeah. I think Dr. Rose grabs the cloth, but then Childress has to tear them for him because. Yeah. He's, yeah. Because he he's missing his fingers. Uh, he's missing all his fingers now. And then they go down to the bar and Dr. Rose is like, ice cross, go grab a drink. And they're like, for the wounds or for drinking? And Dr. Rose is like, both. <laughs> yeah, a bit um, of both. Ice cross at one point, somewhere around here, talks about how it's like, I don't know what the bandages are going to do. Like, I'm going to get the plague. I was bitten by the monsters. Oh, and right. And like, no, we killed the race, man. You're good. You don't have to drink any heart broth or anything like that. You're golden. <laughs> Just, we killed them. You're good. <laughs> He's like, step one, go get Haggis' heart. Step two. No, I'm just kidding, guys. Get some clear water. You don't have to do that. Sorry, guys. You don't have to do that. I was just fucking around with those other people. Yeah. Well, who knows what the whiskey's made out of? Maybe it's made out of zombie hearts. There you go. Yeah. Zombie hearts. Mm. Yeah. So he says the shades won't infect you anymore. They get alcohol. They make that little joke. And then Ice Cross says, here, have this, have the whiskey will warm you up. And uh, yeah, Baltimore kind of scoffs at him. He's like, warm what? This? <laughs> he opens up his shirt and shows a hole in the middle of his chest and takes his heart out and drops it on the table. Yeah. With a big crunk. Because I guess it's tin too, right? They describe it as being tin, which we as get a, in the comic book. It's like a thud. Yeah, they say it's a misshapen lump of cold tin. Oh, right. <laughs> with his wife's Eloine's wedding ring there in it. So is that meant to be like the spangle, right? That was left over from the yeah from the yeah, must be. dancer, right? 
one thing I thought was interesting was here, it's actually like a heart shape. Like um, when you draw a heart, you draw it in that shape. But in the comic, when he pulls it out, it's like a, an a anatomical heart yeah. lump. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which, um, the comic book one makes makes sense. Excuse me. This is a nice fun one in the in the book. Yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. fun one. I don't know how. <laughs> I, don't know I how mean, fun yeah. It well, is. I think it's also like it's probably the heart from the steadfast tin soldier. I bet you this is the not even Baltimore's heart. This could just be from the quote from. Oh yeah. The Hans Christian Andersen Andersen story. Mm, okay. Okay. Maybe. But I mean that that's where it kind of leaves us in the in the comic. There's like a little epilogue where we see everyone's teaming up hodge is teaming up and we see um if you don't remember you'll be happy to remember that dr rose gets steampunk fingers oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) so he's gonna get some steampunk fingers and he'll be able to do all his stuff again so that'll be nice it's gonna have little gadgets in there like lock picks for doors maybe some cool of course (laughs) yeah this was really great i liked um I, i liked how it tied it all together I just liked comparing it with the comic. I was really impressed with how faithful it was. I guess the comic was to the book. Yeah. I mean, when they created the comic, they really put all those details in there down to the little, you know, how many race are attacking a certain person and stuff like that. So really good stuff. But, um, but like I was saying, I appreciated more after reading the comic just because it's so well written and uh, they complemented each other really well, you know? After I got done listening to the audiobook of this, I started thinking, maybe we should have done this book before we did Chapel of Bones. I know, right? Yeah, you we know? probably should have put it in right there. Uh, I think Mark it, maybe suggested that. he broke. Mark broke it up pretty well. He gave us a few iterations of how to read it, but I, and I think that was probably one of them. Yeah. And then we just think, read it like this because we wanted to finish the Omnibus and then go on to the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I enjoyed it, but it was just like, like when we got to the part where Chapel of Bones is like, I'm like, who are these three fuckers? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it does. Uh, I would recommend, you know, going back. I don't know. When, I guess when we go back into the comic, read Chapel of Bones, you know what I mean? Before that. And another thing that we learned in the comic was we get a little scene of Baltimore with Childress. So I think like Childress is going to go off with him. Mm. to like help him you know which i think sounds awesome so yeah, it does <laughs> you know i haven't read any of the second omnibus of the comic so i'm excited to get in there you know and uh see what else happens you know what i mean like uh you know when when Aubrey, oh, yeah. when Aubrey got here he was like um he was like don't get me wrong he was like i really like the book but i'm glad we're done with it because i kind of want to <laughs> i'm ready to go forward in yes. the story and find out what happens next you know so i think that's really cool i feel the same way aubrey i'm like excited to be done with the book but i did i really liked the book i liked going through oh, it with yeah. you guys it made me appreciate it a lot more yeah no i mean i enjoyed the book it was you know it was fun uh but uh like you said it's what what 10 months ago is the last time we talked about this <laughs> of like yeah i'm ready to go go forward i mean didn't duvac turn into a werewolf or something oh right yeah, yeah. Duvac, all duvac that stuff into uh, a werewolf yeah. All that stuff isn't even touched on in the book, which um, I, I think that's another thing that'll be cool going forward is to kind of think about the timeline. You know, maybe some people can chime in, and, and by people, I mean Mark Tweedo specifically. <laughs> Mark Tweedo, chime in and let us know how this lines up with the timeline. I would be, I would like to talk about that next time. Uh, I mean, I could we, talk a we, little bit about timeline now, just some perspective. Okay, stuff yeah, go ahead. For the first episode. But I like, there's still a two-year gap that I'm trying to figure out because Duvik happens... In 1917, he turns in, that's when 
all the the infernal train stuff and Baltimore and him fight and then Baltimore falls off the train. Yeah. And Duvik falls off the train and then those guys like pick him up and take him away and then he turns into a into a werewolf. Right. Does Chapel of Bones well, have it, a year on it? Chapel of Bones. Yeah, Chapel of Bones does have a year for the for the Oh, um, so we can retroactively like put it in there. 1919. Oh, okay. Okay. Was and there, so it was saying... right after his stuff with Duvik. So maybe that's why he was running. No, no, no. So 1917 is the stuff with the Infernal Train. So that's the stuff where he fought Duvik. So it's two years after that stuff with Duvik that he then goes to Chapel of Bones and meets his buddies. Right. Okay. I don't okay. know then. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have what to... took him so long? What took him so long to meet his buddies? I'm telling you, he went uh, and and did some partying in Europe with uh, with Ice Cross or something like that, or Hodges. No, Ice, oh, or Hodge. Ice Cross was at the bar. Maybe Hodge. Maybe he did yeah, some stuff with Hodge. Yeah, his buddy Hodge. He went and they went and hung out and did bro stuff. Now he's got another bro until he can find his other bros and then make a Justice League of Bros. All my bros are going to be together. <laughs> yeah, Baltimore Bros. <laughs> Baltimore Bros. Yes, there it is. Oh man, Baltimore that's so Bros. Good. We got. Baltimore, we got Childress, we got Ice Cross, we got Hodge. Who else is in there? Dr. Rose. Dr. Rose, man. Those are all the Baltimore bros. What do you think, Wes? Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) The next Saturday morning cartoon, Baltimore bros. That would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Baltimore, at least this book was... It was almost a movie. The book almost became a movie at one point. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, hold on. Let me see if I can find it. Film adaptation. It almost became a movie in 2007. It was picked up by New Regency. The studio abandoned the project, and the rights were reverted back to the authors. Oh, wow. Wow. Man, I wonder like if there was a script or any kind of treatment, or I wonder how far they they wrote a screenplay. Oh man, I'd be interested in in reading that. Anyway, wow. Yeah, it looks like cool. Mignola wow. and Christopher Golden wrote the screenplay. I, I you know, oh I, wow. I think this would make a great movie. I love the idea of the three the guy the three guys meeting at the bar, and then they all have their different stories, and then it ends in a big action scene there at the pub. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that's a great. It would make a great movie. What what they've done here with this book is just a, a great structure for for a movie or a play or something like that. Man. Baltimore the play. I would love to see that too. Yeah, Baltimore, Baltimore the, the musical. Cool. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> on <Yeah>. ice. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Excellent. Well, man, thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. And that was a great discussion. I'm so glad to wrap up the book and we can have some more Baltimore comics coming on the episode. Excellent. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Let us know what songs are on Frankenstein on ice and what songs are in Baltimore, the musical has got to be like, uh, uh, I'm hammering a nail into this leg. You know what I mean? Like there's got to be a, a ballad where he's like, Oh man, I'm then, hammering another nail in this leg. I, w- I want to hear the song about boiling that heart to a broth. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Thanks again. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. I mean, imagine it as Neil Diamond's like, turn on your heart light. Be like, Bring out your heart, bro. All right. Hey, everybody. uh, Let's know about your favorite thoughts for the Baltimore the Musical. (laughs) 
send us a hey you damn guys at book club member comics at gmail.com follow us on facebook and instagram at book club member comics and on twitter at book club members and as always you can find all of our resources on our podbean website our facebook about section and our link trees on instagram and twitter as always a special thank you to paul from gotahan for the listener feedback theme thank you paul uh thank you only beast for the theme you're welcome. The, the badass theme. Thank you, Ross and Matt, for the artwork and the logos and the fun stuff. And thank you, Wes, for joining us again on this Taking Us on the Baltimore Train. Yes. You can find the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. And when you're there, open it up and give us that five-star review. Every little bit helps. And if you're enjoying what you're here, tell a friend. Have them join the book club. Yes, do it. Next week, we're going back over to the Hellboy Book Club podcast, and we're going to be finishing up the Silver Lantern Club. So you guys know what to do. Pull out those trades, omnis, digitals, back issues, and you know what to do. And join us next week on Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm the soup chef saying, no soup for you. No heart broth for you. <laughs> and I'm Aubrey Lovis saying, I think we can safely skip the brandy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>